Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Hey, Modern Therapists, we're so excited to offer the opportunity for one unit of continuing education for this podcast episode. Once you've listened to this episode, to get CE credit, you just need to go to moderntherapistcommunity.com, register for your free profile, purchase this course, pass the post-test, and complete the evaluation. Once that's all completed, you'll get a CE certificate in your profile, or you can download it for your records. For a current list of our CE approvals, check out moderntherapistcommunity.com. Once again, hop over to moderntherapistcommunity.com for one CE once you've listened. Woohoo! Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Wittenhelm with Katie Renoy, and this is the podcast for therapists where we talk about the things that go on with therapists and the things that we do, the things that we can do better with our clients. And this is another one of our CE eligible episodes. And working title of this is Katie thinks that she's smarter than you. And she is. <laughs> I almost did a spit tick. <laughs> Probably not the title of the episode that's going to get published, but no. no. <laughs> in setting this up, we tend to take turns kind of leading the content of our CE episodes here. Katie's the one taking charge of this episode, but really honing in on goals and goals for clients and how to. Get them to have better goals. The play on smart goals is really what I was leading the episode with here and trying to be smarter than smart. And that is where Katie is taking us off today. So follow the directions for how to get your CE credits. Those are available at the beginning and the end of the episode. So follow those directions. But Katie, just how smart are you? I don't know. Some days I feel pretty smart and other days I just don't. But but I think that's a good place to start is that we oftentimes, at least, I don't know, maybe your training was different, but but I learned smart goals and that's kind of where it stopped. And I feel like a lot of the learning after that was something that I really had to pick up on my own or I had to, you know, follow within a model or or something, a clinical model versus kind of thinking about goals in an, in kind of a standalone way. And so the research I did for this, we'll, we'll link to uh, that researcher or the references and the show notes, but, but it's something where I was, I was really coming to be aware that a lot of the goal setting information I was getting in previous iterations was really a lot more from the coaching and consulting arena. And I think therapist goals oftentimes align with whatever evidence-based practice it is or these smart goals. And so 
I think it can feel like goal setting is a checkbox for folks. And so I wanted to to revisit the power of goal setting <laughs> so that we could actually make sure that we're doing a good job at it because it's actually pretty important. I was going to add that this is more than just a checkbox. This is actually an oft ignored ethical standard that ah, our, yes, our ethics codes say, have have a treatment plan, have goals. I mean, that's essentially yeah. what a treatment plan is. So I agree that there's a lot of setting goals that does seem to be, you know, going to the the Jongspa planners and just picking yeah. out evidence-based practice goals that, to fill out a treatment plan. And we wonder why clients don't actually end up achieving them. And <laughs> there might be some sort of vague <laughs> teaching of like, well, use a smart approach to getting these goals. Yeah. But you're pulling some stuff. And I've come to the the realization or or embracing that there are some aspects out of the coaching and consulting world that we could probably adopt as therapists to do better. Or these are things that came from the therapy world that coaches and consultants seem to be doing better than us in sure. the larger discourse of things. Very good points. And I think we can focus in on the relationship. I know I've focused in the relationships the most important, but if we aren't setting goals and our clients aren't clear on the goals, uh, there was a, an article, Gertzen et al. in 2020, where if there's a lack of goal clarity, there's poor therapeutic alliance. So it hurts the relationship. If you and your client are not clear on the goals or if the client's not clear on the goal, it can increase symptoms and it can increase the need for sessions, which even though that theoretically it means they stay in treatment longer, it doesn't necessarily mean they stay in treatment longer because the relationship is not as good. And so the the impact of having really clear goals that you set with your client is really the th the stuff of therapy. And when we when we step away from really robust goal setting, I think we we end up with kind of that directionless, meaningless process instead of a directed, meaningful purposeful process. Some other quick studies just to talk about kind of the benefits, give us the, the reasons why we should pay attention to this besides our ethical responsibility. If you have goals, even with like text feedback, it'll increase attainment. So having an intention that I want to feel better <laughs> doesn't actually make people feel better. Defining it, setting a goal and having some sort of feedback loop involved actually gets us to where we're going. We can't just make it happen. And that was Zarate at all in 2019. The other thing, and, and we've talked about flow quite a bit on the podcast and different optimal performance systems of self-care kind of stuff, is that Weintraub et al. in 2021 did an article around or did a, a research study around setting daily, and it was SMART goals actually, but daily SMART goals created the experience of flow at work. Now, there was specifics to it. Th these goals needed to be around mastery, resource acquisition, or understanding. So there's, there's some nuance to it. It's not just like any SMART goal works. But increasing flow, having better therapy, <laughs> having direction, meaning, and purpose, actually meeting goals because you've set them, <laughs> that, that seems like a win, even if it kind of seems like a pain in the behind to to make our treatment plans and set these goals uh, when it just seems like, oh, but there's so much to talk about. Why do we have to do it? But we need to. It actually is, as you say, Kurt, an ethical responsibility, and it actually helps. So let's start at the beginning, and, and you have kindly agreed to be a guinea pig in this. 
<laughs> um, but let's let's just start with smart goals. What we've learned. So, what does smart stand for? I remember being taught this as specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time oriented. Okay, and that's that's what I saw in a lot of the literature. I think that attainable and realistic. I've heard attainable and relevant or attuned and realistic, and there's little nuances in there. I think they're just trying to make it say smart. But I think that's pretty clear. Specific, you know, you actually have something that you're specifically not just like, I feel better, but I'm going to get up, get out of bed in the morning. Uh, measurable, you know, some sort of, of number. I'm going to get out of bed in the morning five times a week versus two times a week. It's attainable. I can I can get out of bed. It's something that I'm able to do. It's relevant. Getting out of bed seems to be something that'll help me feel better because if I stay in bed, I, I feel pretty depressed. And time bound, I'm going to increase the number of times I get out of bed within the next three months. So those are the kinds of goals I was setting in community mental health. Seems to make sense. And this is the basics. We're not staying here, folks. Bear with us. <laughs> We're going to go beyond it. But But for the purposes of, of our, our little experience here, let's start with a, a smart goal for you, Kurt. So what, what are you working on? What is something that you would like to meet in the near future? What's a good smart goal for you? As a group practice owner, I am finding myself needing to devote more of my time to managerial stuff, running the practice, those kinds of things. Okay. And part of what prevents me from doing that is a enormously high personal caseload of clients that I see myself. So in the spirit of SMART goals, I would like to decrease my caseload to 15 clients per week by the end of 2023. So that's pretty clear. Thank you. De yes, very clear. <laughs> decrease caseload to 15 by the end of 2023. Okay. So what's the problem with that? Like, what are what are what would you think are some problems with gen general smart goals or goal setting in general? Well, it, I'm, I'm going to start with the positives because I'm a positive okay. positive guy. I'm also right. really good at writing concrete behavioral stuff. This one's sure. this one's very measurable. I either yes. do it or I don't. Yes. Uh, it is specific. There is a time bound aspect to it. Mm -hmm. It seems to be attainable. It could be realistic. It could be. <laughs> it could be. It, it's it's maybe not taking into account all of the wonderful me factors that mm. have, you know, I, I can make all sorts of wonderful smart goals and, and they could be things that I intend to do, but it doesn't really get into what uh, you're going to actually do. What I'm going to actually do or have <laughs> proven to do because. I mean, what I'm doing right now seems seems to be working just fine. So sure. it, it's it's almost too behavioral. It's almost you know un I don't know what the word for it is unwavering. Like there's no flexibility to it. Yeah, yeah. See, uh, a 2020 article, Muller and Cotihe, I think is how you say it. They say that smart goals are overly linear and not dynamic enough. So they don't actually kind of play along with 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 the me factors for example yeah. yes this is also an outcome goal you either do it or you don't right there's 15 you, you get down to 15 hell yeah or you don't <laughs> and uh there's another model called aspire we'll put the the reference in um 
the show notes. It was more about sports psychology, um, but this is Gano, Overway, and Sackett in 2021. They were saying actually that outcome goals seem to be less effective than performance, learning, or process goals. So effort goals <laughs> or progress versus some static outcome are actually more effective. So having a, a end-of-the-year goal that's very static it could be a place to start, but it's not It's not where we land because it's not the most effective type of goal. We want effort goals. We want learning goals. We don't want you do it or you don't. I will make efforts to be down to 15 <laughs> clients. So hold that because we have to figure out what are the efforts. We'll, we'll, we'll define the efforts and we might find okay. a better smart goal. <laughs> the other thing that Gano Overway and Sackett were talking about was also you want it to be realistic but challenging. And so... Do you really think you can decrease your caseload to 15 by the end of the next year? And, and for, for listeners, this is knowing that Kurt has a caseload of 29 to 30, because I know you well. And I know that you've been wanting to decrease your caseload from 29 or 30 for at least a year. <laughs> so this is saying, I will somehow do it differently next year. <laughs> sure. Is, this, is it really attainable? I mean, if we brought in all of the magical space dust and fairies that could make this happen, I'm sure that it could be. So this is not realistic and maybe too challenging, or maybe in its current form doesn't seem quite realistic, except with uh, space dust. I've had some recent conversations with some people that have made me realize that setting an outcome goal is, in this way is not necessarily speaking to the process of why I want it to be there. Yes. And and I'm certain that over the course of, of the rest of this episode, the knowledge that you're going to bestow upon me. I'm going to, I'm going to lay it down. <laughs> you're, you're going to help me get to that, but sure. This, I mean, what you're referring to is this was my goal last year. And yes. you know how easy it is to just change the number on the date of the, mm -hmm. the time? That's way easier than actually having to deal with this. So, yes. yeah. And even though it's a lot easier for clinicians to have uh, goals that will span a number of treatment plan periods. <laughs> It's actually not effective for our clients. And then the final kind of problem with smart goal things, or at least with goal setting in, in the way that you've described it here, Kurt, is a do plan or a positively framed plan. So do something is a much stronger goal than a don't do something. And so we'll want to get to that. I, I, I see you ready to, to speak to that, but we'll get to that in just a minute. And then the other part, and this is, this is from a, a little paper from Parrish in 2020, that if you can make it a habit, you know, something that's repetitive and, and a habit, and, and we'll certainly get to that much later with tiny habits from BJ Fogg at the end here, those are much, much better than a don't do. So decrease your caseload to 15 is a don't do it's a stop doing it's no, not a, that, that that is a that is a doo-doo that is tell me how how decreasing your caseload is a doo-doo it is taking active steps to graduating clients it is taking active steps to referring out clients that i see these are all things that are not written in that smart goal though well it's i mean you didn't have me write out like the specific steps to get to oh, that right. smart goal. I mean, because we've already identified that's the outcome. It's not the the steps okay. to this. You know, this is, you know, I hear a don't do goal is like, don't sneeze. 
Like, okay. you know, those those are things. I'm hearing this is don't take more clients or stop taking more clients. Not that. That well, I mean, and, and I've written, like I said, I've I, I come from a, a background of ABA and writing mm-hmm. very concrete goals like this. Like the difference between a don't do goal and a do do goal. I mean, <laughs> let's all just be sophomoric about this. You know, let's <laughs> let's do do the do do. But a do do goal is referrals get sent out to my team rather than being put on my caseload. That is a do. It is yes. not don't take the referrals for your caseload. It's a matter of how you structure what the goal is that mm-hmm. turns it into a do goal. I still hear everything that I'm saying as these are do steps towards an outcome as defined in our smart plan. Yes. If I, I I do have a microphone, I should drop it right here because. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're getting to the part that I think is <laughs> he actually dropped the microphone. <laughs> So uh, I think what you're getting to very intelligently, very smartly, Kurt, is the is the next steps. And this is the I think this is the problem, at least in the way that I saw smart goals trained when I was coming up, is that you would get to something that was very, very concrete, very measurable, but you didn't go to the next step on how do we actually get there. And you're talking about that. So let's go to the next stage here and and take a little look on this to see how do we make this a bit better than just decrease my caseload to 15, which is what you've had as your goal for the last year. <laughs> you're gonna re- re-engage for the next year. We need to, we need to dig deeper. So um, there's a group out of Norway, Bertelsen and Ozer um, did a couple of different things. There's a, a different group. Again, we'll have the references in the show notes, but their model is around the concept of grip on life. And so it's that general life skills are used to manage everyday tasks. There's proactive goal setting. And in truth, one of the articles I was reading was they were setting this up for high school students. So this isn't complex. This is something where it's just a really logical process that you can go through to make sure that what you're doing makes sense. And so you start with a challenge. You turn that into a SMART goal. You choose the life skills you're going to use. You find the next step and, and think through kind of the motivation factors, the basic five of life. You want the goal to be comprehensible so you understand what the goal is and what it entails. You want it meaningful and that makes sense. And you want to make sure it's ma- it's manageable. You can imagine the outcome and how to get there. So I think because we're going through this, I, I want to I want to make sure that we understand the challenge. Because you said decrease your caseload to fifteen. What challenge is that solving? More concretely than you said in the beginning. So I I, I say yes to a lot of things. A lot of people rely on me to do a lot of things. This is in my practice. This is in my side hustle here with our award-winning podcast and (laughs) also in my personal life with uh, family and friends that there is a lot of things that bottleneck with me and Mm -hmm. are on my ever-growing to-do pile that just gets done based on whatever the concrete priority thing is that needs to happen just in time. I'm great at getting things done on time, but for some of these things that can just kind of sit in the background and stay at status quo forever, they become good promises from my ever warm and open, just positive personality of optimism that I'm going to get everything done, (laughs) but they just kind of sit there until 
there is some sort of deadline for them to actually get done. And I can make up deadlines like I have with this one, but there's no real deadline to it. It's just kind of, again, magic space dust that could make this happen. (laughs) Well, and and the way I'm hearing that is that the challenge is way too much stuff to do and not enough time to do it is one element of it. So so that's kind of what the decrease the caseload is for is to to increase the time that you have to spend on some of these things. Um, You're also talking about the saying yes a lot. Is that part of the challenge that we're addressing here is that you need to set firmer boundaries around your time or or say no to more things? Like what is what is that? What is the challenge there? I feel like I should say no, just so I can start working on this immediately. <laughs> you feel free. <laughs> so we'll say that's a yes. <laughs> Um, okay, so the limited time, saying yes to too many things, becoming the bottleneck. So what does that mean that you're becoming the bottleneck? That people are waiting on me to get something done or organized or looked at for them to be able to complete what it is that they're doing, to be able to jointly, you know, move on to the next step of a project or an idea that if the the saying goes the buck stops here the the desk you know little placard on my desk says everything stops here like <laughs> so the 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 problem is that stuff that you're wanting to get done things you know maybe it's for the practice maybe it's for the podcast maybe it's projects at home whatever it is there are things that you legitimately want to have happen but because of your lack of time and ability to focus on it Especially if there's if it's one of those things like nice to do, not I have to do it by next week or I'm in big trouble. Those things just kind of lay fallow. You're not able to actually move them forward. Yes. Okay. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. So we so we've got the actual challenge and decreasing your caseload to to fifteen. So de- cutting your caseload in half could address that challenge, but there might be other things. And so we'll want to assess that in just a minute. But let's let's go through the the smart goal booster, which is part of this grip on life uh, process that they that uh, these folks made. And the the first one is the the specific. The goal is clearly described. It's framed positively. And there's a awareness of how much this goal addresses the challenge. So let's jump into it. How much does decreasing your caseload by half address the challenge that you described? 
it doesn't seem to address it specifically. And even just picking up on like, you know, I, I behaviorally wormed my way out of, you know, a do do goal wouldn't really, this Mm -hmm. is where what I've been focused on is decrease, but you're saying here with specific that this needs to be a increase or a framing positively. And ultimately what is behind this goal is I want to free up more of my time to be able to do the things that are bottlenecking with me. And in order to do so, one of the biggest places where my time is obligated is with some of my clients on my caseload. So, so framing it positively. I am positive that this is what happens. <laughs> well, we can we can go to increase. Is it unstructured time? Increase? Increase productive time. Productive time, whereas client time is is separate from that because it's it's providing services and then productive time might be getting clinical documentation done, uh, supervision, training, working on podcast content. Right. Like those are things where it's it's focused effort towards other projects separate from performing clinical work. So increase Correct. the amount of time that you have to spend on that. Yeah, that's what I meant all along. <laughs> um, okay, so let me write this down so I can follow along here. So specific, kind of. Um, I think we need a little bit more parameters. How much time do you want to be spending working, like total time working in a week? I would like to cut it down to somewhere between 40 to 50 hours. Okay, so 40 to 50 hours. And you're saying 15 of those hours would be client times, right? Yeah. So we're so we're looking at 25 to 35 other hours. Yes. Okay. How many hours do you have right now that you're spending on uh, productive or project time? Depending on the week, I would say 10 to 20. Okay. So the current is 10 to 20. So if we have, you're currently at a 30 caseload, 20 would be the 50 hours. Does that seem accurate? Are you working 50-hour weeks? Or are you working more than that? I'm working more than that. Okay. So you may already be at 25 hours of sure. productive time. Yes. So so increasing the productive or project time, you, you don't need to. You already are spending that much time. Yeah, you could say that. I mean, it's it sounds like you're not getting personal time. Yes, very much so. Okay. So... Part of this, and this is where this gets hard, and maybe the maybe time isn't our best goal because it seems like if we're saying like you want to increase personal time, you would have to have a goal around increasing time off of work or more forcibly <laughs> holding the boundaries of work time to forty to fifty hours. So, so behavioral goal master, do do you have a, a way to to create that goal? of holding a specific amount of work time and personal time. I mean, I think if I can talk through the process here and and give our audience maybe a little bit of an insight into how this conversation might look in in a therapy session here. Yes. Is the 
amount of time that I'm doing on project time or, or this kind of stuff, as you're pointing out, seems to be a fixed amount of time. Mm-hmm. What having my schedule as it is right now is that tends to happen anyway and it happens to fit around wherever I'm seeing clients. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to get to is not having so many clients to fit this stuff around and being able to dedicate the time that was previously taken up by clients to be able to get this stuff done, thus opening up other time in my schedule to be able to do home projects, family relationship sort of stuff, personal interests, those kinds of things. Yeah. So do we have a, are we able to get to a smart goal there yet? Or do we need to kind of keep going before we, I think we need to keep going to, to look at this. Okay. Cause I think the, the reason I pointed that out is, in our conversations, so this is assuming that you know the client, <laughs> but in our conversations, a lot of it goes back to, well, it works because you are just eating into personal time to take care of the business stuff, the the, the other projects, the other things, because we didn't even include the time that you're spending teaching, which is another element, which obviously needs time too. Absolutely. Okay. So going to your previous goal, decrease your caseload to 15, that is measurable. Can you see progress? And what is the progress? Do you have partial goals? And is there a meaningful developmental process? My response when I was thinking about the decrease, the caseload to 15 is that I don't see, it's it's easy to measure, but the, the intermediate parts are a little bit harder. There's not partial goals. So if we're wanting to do more of a meaningful developmental process, when if we're looking at eventually getting down to this ideal schedule, is there, can you see a way to get there? Like, is there a measurable way to get there? Are there incremental goals that would be possible in this? So one of the thoughts that I had had is, as I have clients who graduate or stop therapy, get referred out, they move on, whatever, it's uh, being able to not fill their spaces or to fill their spaces with clients who are maybe on the more extreme ends of my schedule, the ones who are very, very early on my schedule, the ones very late in the evening, and to be able to kind of condense down my day. So that way I'm staying a little bit more in my flow states rather than bouncing back and forth from doing, all right, I'm going to work on this task for an hour. Then I got two or three clients and I'm going to work on this other task for an hour. That's constantly the shifting gears that will allow for me to actually more deeply get into some of these projects. Okay. So theoretically, I just, I had a thought and I don't know if this works for you, but I'll, I'll throw it out there as a possibility is if we, if we identify kind of an ideal schedule, we could, we could look at percentage alignment with the ideal schedule. And that could be, you know, so like you're all over the map now, you've got clients that are spread out. So if your ideal schedule is compact, it in, you've got more evening time free, maybe, or you've got weekend time free, whatever it is. And you get closer and closer to the ideal schedule as you start doing these steps. Does that feel like something that has more of a developmental process that you kind of over time, you know, probably there's different steps you would take. Part of it is moving clients in as, as people graduate, potentially it's um, shifting you know, some some scheduling to to kind of create the space that you need in another spot. And so there could be incremental goals to get more in alignment with this ideal schedule. And we could get down to those. But the overarching thing for the year is, here is my ideal schedule. I'm 
20% in compliance, I want to be 80% in compliance by the end of the year. I mean, yes, all of this sounds great, but it still comes down to I am still only accountable to the person who got me into this mess in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Okay, so we'll, we'll keep working. Um, the next one is, is this goal attuned and attainable? Is it too easy or too hard to reach? Is it meaningful? And do you have an idea on how you'll reach it? You've talked about letting folks graduate and, and move on. Are you going to have half your caseload graduate by the end of next year? Not naturally, no. Okay. So this needs a little bit of effort, which I think requires some motivation, right? Uh, I, I think, you know, as part of this and now recording this exact conversation twice for a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I think as we had our pre-recording conversation about this, now that we're doing this as part of the recording, part of this is just being more accountable and concrete with things just by coming back and reviewing this, not just with the person who put me in this mess in the first place, but the deeper processing and understanding of why not. So this is meaningful. It's meaningful to those in my life that I care and love for. And also you, Katie. And <laughs> I'll take it. And, <laughs> um, That's it, it is meaningful. Um, and I do have ideas on how to reach it. It's yeah, th this, this does seem attuned. It's something where part of the attunement comes to needing to not just privately hold on to this. Mm, mm -hmm. Okay. And that, that, that aligns with something later that we're going to talk about too, but whether it's attuned or attainable, realist or relevant, I'm hearing, or at least, up to this point, um, part of the the realistic or relevant is our conditions in place to meet the goal, and and there are you know what are the obstacles to overcome them. And so I think it makes sense to talk a little bit about that because it sounds like to this point the conditions have not been in place. And, Correct. And that, there that... have been obstacles that that you've not been able to overcome. So let's talk a little bit about that. And that is something that I'm already very much actively working on. I've hired a virtual assistant this year to take off some of the tasks that end up, you know, being the things that I have to get to at the end of the day, being able to train somebody on how my practice runs, being able to, you know, start to take intake phone calls and have them be able to better match you know clients with my staff rather than me being guilted into you know whoever's calling <laughs> me and being like but we really wanted to meet with you and i'll be like you know i'm such a caring guy that you're you're melting my defenses here so being able to have some of the systems in place some of the other staff members in place on my team to take care of some of the day-to-day -day operation stuff allows for me to do what I do really well, which is a lot of the big picture sort of things where some of the implementation of those is where the bottlenecks come in. And have the conditions been in place? Absolutely not. Have the implementation of changing the conditions been in place? Barely. But... <laughs> That has partially been bottlenecked by the amount of time that I am spending with clients that haven't allowed for me to take that step back. And so 
this is actually something that I have taken more steps to prioritize in recent weeks to be able to better get to where I've vaguely been going and promising all along. Okay. Okay. So there may be more there, but let's let's keep keep going to the last step, which is timed. Are you going to start right away or in the near future? Is there a deadline? And can you imagine a timeline? You're changing the 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 two to a three on this goal on the decrease your caseload to fifteen. Is this something that you can start right away? That you can I, actually start decreasing your caseload? I think so. Um okay. I I can probably I mean I I have a couple of clients that are very close to reaching their goals right now anyway so it's something where and I imagine that through the holidays you know traditionally there's you know been a few people who are like you've set me up really well I've got the skills I don't need therapy anymore and I'm like great um uh, so I I'm at a time where this could start falling into place. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. No. Is this going on? Yeah. Is it going on as fast as it could? Absolutely not. Because part of what we haven't talked about is also the anxiety of, I want to keep the same income from my practice. Yeah. And this is something where being able to balance out the needs of Myself and my income comes with probably expanding my clinical team as well that needs to kind of go in lockstep with this. Well, and I think the challenge with the financial piece is this this uh, summit you have to, to reach where you have to recognize that you're more likely to make more money in your practice if you're acting in the management and leadership role versus just grinding through 29 or 30 clients a week. And mm -hmm. so... How much of that do you believe? How much do you think that you can actually increase the income of your practice if you step away from half of your caseload? I will have to get comfortable with taking a the probability of taking a monetary step back in order to then be able to take a more comfortable step forward. And I think that that'll extend beyond 2023, but it's also sitting with just kind of that, you know, scarcity mindset anxiety of sure. it would just be easier to solve the money problem by just seeing more clients. Sure. And I think that's, that's where you get stuck. Now, speaking to the bottleneck, is there anything sitting on your desk, any bottlenecks on your desk that theoretically are lucrative? Theoretically, I can imagine a bunch of things being lucrative, but if, if for my practice, uh, yeah, part of it is expanding out our DBT. We're going to start doing comprehensive DBT that's built in to have more of a team-oriented approach to it in the first place. We will hopefully have the things finalized for a wonderful CE platform that comes with <laughs> our wonderful little side hustle here that will be able to expand our audience. Lucrative sort of things may change just based on personal factors of, you know, I have to accept I'm not the only income in my households. And my partner has uh, the ability to also, you know, continue to support the family in the way that she has. And um, so I don't necessarily need to jump to lucrative. I need to be comfortable with stability. Okay. 
because I think the 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 pieces here that I'm hearing is that there's the the quick easy answer is I see a client I get money, mm-hmm. and what you're trying to shift here is from how do I stay financially stable? The easiest way is just see clients. Yep. Um. To how do I make a more sustainable career, and how do I make in truth, probably more money if I can get to a place where I'm growing and, and, and maybe it's not even more money. Maybe it's the same amount of money, but working fewer hours, right? It's, right. it's getting, using your skills to launch programs, to get things in place that you can charge money for them. But if they sit on your desk, you're not charging money for them. <laughs> and so it's, it's looking at, how do you get to the place of my brain and my planning is more lucrative? It just takes a little bit more time than seeing one client in the next hour. Right, right. I mean, that's economics, yeah. But if we're looking at timed, um, it sounds like it's going to start happening pretty soon. You kind of have a deadline at the, at the end of next year. But even a timeline, if we were going to kind of go even the more behavioral model, I mean, we're, you're talking about dropping one to two clients a month and not replacing them. Is that timeline doable? That seems reasonable. It's not like, okay, I need to drop 15 clients. It's more of, oh, one a month. That seems reasonable as far as graduating. It's being able to uh, not feel like it's taking on everything all at once. Yes. And I think the the thing that that I'm hitting up against, and this is something that we'll potentially reflect on at the end of the episode, is to me, spending a year dropping your caseload to have the potential here feels really long. And so I'm I'm fighting that bias of like, yeah, Dude. but you've you've got you've got ulterior your own goals that ah, deal yes, with that. Yes, I have so. ulterior motives. I want you to I want you to stop being our bottleneck. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why we had to do a pre-record because we needed to work that crap out. Um, but I think it's that piece of for me, like my expectations were: if you want to do this, we'll just do it. Like you've got associates, you're going to bring people on. Like in you know, my internal monologue is, dude, you could do this in three months. That's just dropping five clients a month. Like, (laughs) or you could do it in five. That's just dropping three clients a month. Like for me, I'm thinking about it like, hey, you can actively go in and do all these things. So were I your therapist, I would not say any of that stuff, but I just want for folks in the background kind of making sure that you're testing your own assumptions because we want to meet the client where they are in in their time frame of making the change. Because if we push them too hard, it becomes not realistic or it doesn't become attuned to them. Okay. So our goal in this little section was to get to a new SMART goal. Where are we sitting with that? Do we feel like we have a different goal besides decrease your caseload by 15 clients or two 15 clients? Uh, it's increase the hours available to work on other projects. By decreasing caseload. <laughs> in, in, in community mental health, I would be like an increase to decrease. An goal increase always, to decrease goal. <laughs> always, always pushed back, but we'll allow it because I think we need to get into smaller ones. But increased hours available to work on projects. While maintaining income. While maintaining income. And still be loved by everybody. <laughs> I can't promise that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> So while maintaining income and then in parentheses by decreasing my caseload. 
We're going to revisit that because I think decreasing your caseload may not be the only answer, but increased hours available to work on projects while ma maintaining income. Yes. Or like non-client uh, projects. Because you also spend time because you have some clients that, that have a lot of needs. Like there's projects like calling hospitals or <laughs> working with treatment sure. teams that are not direct client hours that add to the 29 or 30 hours of client time that you have. Okay. So we've got our new SMART goal. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And so the next step in this grip on life thing is the wheel of skills of life psychology. And this is uh, the associated skills that we can shape adequate, adequately shape our life activities and behavior to optimally achieve them. And so I'm going to talk through them. And then I think probably for our sake of time, let's pick one area that you would want to talk through a little bit more. And maybe it's even digging into stuff we've already talked about. So the first one is participation in creating your own life and communal life. And that includes relations. For example, do you need to create relationships to meet your goal? And maybe I'll just talk this one through. You, you need to get another associate at least, right? Right. Frames. Do you need to add structure to meet your goal? And probably we need to <laughs> structure your schedule a bit differently. Community. Do you need to participate in community to be able to reach this goal? And I don't know if that one, I mean, you almost have to participate less so people stop referring clients to you, but you don't want them to not refer to your practice. No, if anything, I want to build a stronger <laughs> community who refers to the other people that I hire. So, and part of it you did with kind of your rebrand is now the practice has a brand. And so potentially it's the brand and your delegates, so to speak, need to be out in community more to be able to, to, to strengthen the ability of the other folks getting referrals, right? Yes. Rather than you yes. being the face. Okay. Um, the second, the second kind of body of, of skills are realistic attunement. And this is in relationship to general life conditions. So the first one is attentiveness. Do you need to pay more attention? What's that? <laughs> I was just going to say, I'll answer that one first. <clears throat> yes. Yes. You need to pay more attention. But what do you think you need to pay more attention to? Uh, I mean, it's easy to point to the external things of the business. Um, but I think, you know, this is that deep therapeutic thought is I need to pay attention to the why am I taking on more stuff and what's the drive and what's that feeding for me that prevents me from getting to the things that I'm already doing? Sure. And a second uh, step here in, in this realistic, realistic attunement section is planning. Do you have a specific plan? No. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, norms and values. What norms and values impact this? And you've talked about kind of the financial money story mindset kind of stuff. What, what other norms and values do you think impact on this, on your schedule issues, so to speak? I mean, you can point to any number of things of, I have a reputation of being successful and having my crap together and doing things and being a, a stalwart of the therapist community. 
and I have a reputation to uphold. And I have things like being a male head of households that might have expectations of needing to be at least a major breadwinner, if not the breadwinner. I'm neither in my households, but, <laughs> but of, you know, also needing to meet all of the, you know, professional, just kind of here is a married father who has a business and has a side business and needs to be the consistent sort of thing. Uh, this is consistency for me at this point. It's, it's a crappy consistency. It's one that it would be easy to just kind of keep plugging along and doing what I'm doing. And, you know, one day reach a retirement age and be like, you know what, I'm done. Everybody, I'm closing down shop. So you know, part of this is the norms of even just having to face doing a major change that feels partially just very guilty and selfish. Mm. So decreasing the your workload, theoretically, yeah, makes you feel guilty and selfish. Potentially, yeah. I haven't tried yet, so I imagine those are the feelings <laughs> I'm going to have. Well, I I guess that the question that leads to me is, you know, how do you feel as the bottleneck? Are there are there feelings around being the bottleneck? Not particular ones that have motivated me to really make any changes at this point. Okay. How about the amount of time spent with family? Are there feelings around when your workload invades family time? Yes. Like I, I, okay. I want to increase family time and quality of family time. Yes. Okay. So that may be more motivating, which is part of another step, but, but it seems like that value of working hard up, you know, kind of upholding your reputation, showing up for the people in your practice, doing the things like that, that's motivating, which has led to this saying yes to a lot of stuff and having a high caseload. The bottleneck stuff, it seems like that's not motivating to you. That would be very motivating to me. <laughs> just sure. you know. But for you, it sounds like it's going to happen when it happens. It's not urgent. I'll get to it. Right. Got it. But with the family stuff, it seems like that is actually more motivating. And so getting your caseload down, getting your total workload down is actually more motivating. And so kind of rejiggering your... Uh, your schedule so that you can fit more of the kind of diversity of things that you're doing into a smaller work work time is motivating to be able to see more of your family, to spend more time with family. Yes. Okay. And so I think we need to pay attention to that because if that's more motivating, we want to increase that versus trying to to work around something that doesn't doesn't really get you moving which is that you're the bottleneck and people keep going like, Kurt, where is it? Where is it? What's going on, Kurt? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You're like, oh, it's all noise at this point. <laughs> You've got like how many thousand of emails? <laughs> um, 166,291. Yes. So if you're sending Kurt an email, if you actually get a response, it means he likes you a lot. <laughs> it's, it's more of a lottery at this point. Of, you're one of today's <laughs> lucky five. <laughs> All right. So that's the realistic attunement. And then the the last area of skills of life is mentalization, understanding your own and others' perspectives. And so those there's four of those. One's awareness of your body and your five senses. And we, we didn't really talk about that. So maybe that's worth looking at. Understanding yourself, understanding 
understanding others and understanding systems. So in, in the middle is mentalization sphere, what do you think is relevant? I mean, I understand myself pretty well. I understand others pretty well. I understand the systems that we've created pretty well. And I've found a very subconscious place of just operating to where everybody is low-key, just kind of annoyed with me, as opposed to... <laughs> Really, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Goldilocks zone of like, nothing is so problematic. Ah, so something would, would have to shift for it to really become for that element to become more important. Like you, you put, you understand the situation. It just doesn't motivate you to change it. It is a very slow burn to getting to addressing the right balance of keeping everything going and in place. Okay. And, you know, this is something that I mentioned earlier, where actually having deeper conversations about what these shifts mean with everybody around me mm -hmm. helps to keep me a more on track and committed to doing it. But B helps to redefine what all of these relationships and what all of these systems are. So that way, it's not such a shock to do everything all at once. Okay. Okay. So when we look at this, when we look at the kind of the participation, one of the things you're doing is keeping keeping your community apprised of what's going on. Yeah. You're understanding the norms and values. It looks like having a specific plan is an area that we may want to work on. Yeah. And then as far as mineralization, it's it's you're good at that. You're you're very aware of of how this is. You just recognize it's kind of like having dysthymia. You haven't hit depression, so you're just kind of like, ah, it's just, things kind of suck. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. So if we're looking at our new SMART goal, which is increase hours available to work on projects while maintaining income, what is a good next step? A partial goal that we can that we can allot that that potentially pulls from one of these whether it's skills needed, resources needed, or, or a, a skills or a resource deficit? Like, what is what is a, a partial step that we could take here? Uh, I mean, uh, the first thing that pops to my mind is evaluating my caseload and seeing who is close to graduating, who's maybe in need of a referral, who is likely to benefit from uh, adjusting their schedule with me any of those kinds of things. So part of it is being able to evaluate within my caseload where some of these changes can happen more realistically sooner upfront. Okay. So when do you want to do that? It is natural that with updating everyone's good faith estimates that reminder, some of everyone, these conversations yeah, will be happening fairly naturally and will be coming up very, very soon. Okay, so in January with the updated good faith estimate will be a conversation with folks about progress, time to graduation, frequency of sessions, that kind of stuff. So there may be a big push towards the, you know, kind of creating more space because you'll have fewer clients probably by the end of January. So maybe there's, or fewer client sessions. It could be that people go to every other week or once a month. So they they drop a little bit. So you're not seeing 29 to 30 a week. Um, so there may be some big progress right at the beginning of the year. And I like it because it's got a, a time frame. It's attached to something. And and it's uh, it's certainly something that I think is pretty doable. 
because it's already, it's clinically relevant. It's already, it's just adding a little bit, a mindset to the process that you were already potentially doing, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the, the grip on life actually has an assessment that I like that kind of talks through, is this a good enough kind of partial goal or next step? And it's, it's called the basic five of life. So here we go. Um, and kind of is the next step motivating enough? So the first part is want. Do you want to, to set and reach this goal? Is there any reluctance? Should you modify your goal? And so if we're looking at com- going through your whole caseload with these good faith estimates and doing these assessments and shifting based on that assessment, do you want to do that? Yeah. Okay. Do you have the ability to do it? Sufficient knowledge and skill? Is there anything you lack? Is there anything difficult? Is there anything, any skills or, or knowledge you should acquire to be able to have these conversations with your clients and make the according, you know, the, the, the changes according to what you've talked about? Yeah, that's, yes. Way in your wheelhouse, right? Like this right. is easy. Okay. Um, are there any external conditions that impact whether the goal uh, happens? The ability to have some of my staff take on some of the roles that I'm continuing to do, the overall stability of my personal finances, this kind of stuff, my ability to hire and train new clinical staff to take on extra referrals. Yeah. So so, so those external things are impact kind of the overarching goal, but as far as going through and assessing your whole caseload and having those things, are there external factors on that? Is that also? No. Nope. Okay, that- so... That's completely within your within your control. Yes. But if we were looking at the larger goal, what you described as external factors, money, you, you kind of have control over that. But hiring and systems, you can contribute to those changes. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then the, the fourth big five is being met. Do you ha- get help and acknowledgement when you're setting and reaching your goal? Do you have support networks or relationships? Do you get help? And what can you do to be supported or helped? So is there... Is there support around doing this process of assessing your whole caseload and and kind of planning for folks to either decrease or close out if appropriate? I've mentioned several times in this episode of the benefits of having my trusted people, you, my practice, you know, partners, my my wife. Yes, there's. So you've got those. I've got those. Okay. And then the doing one is is kind of looking at the the any concrete activities or pursuits that you're already doing regarding setting and reaching this goal. And is there anything that prevents you or something that you could do differently from what you usually do? And so specific to assessing your caseload at the beginning of the year, what are you already doing? And and is there anything that would prevent you or thing anything you would have to do differently about the GFE process, for example? Not really, because that's already going to get done anyway. So. Yeah, that's I, already that's in place. Probably the only the only thing is is actually doing that clinical assessment at, attached to it. Or did you already do that last year too? I mean, as a natural part of these GFE conversations last year, this is, is something that's going to come up in these conversations with my clients anyway. Okay, and so that process is the, the only thing that's really different is then implementing decrease or graduation plans. Yep. Okay. Does that feel doable? Yes, it does. Okay. Now, the these group, this group, Bertelson and Ozer in 2021, also was looking at this Grip on Life plan. And they is a, a completely, I don't know that it's unrelated, but it just, it was kind of an interesting thing that I read that I feel like I'm going to just throw in here because it's really interesting. 
is that they're basically saying like, if you're motivated enough, you can do it. Like if, if you can set this up properly, you can just do it. Right. And, and what they found is that a lot of therapists and a lot of folks say that like self-control is limited. You got to, you know, it's, it's almost like a muscle, you got to rest, that kind of stuff. But, but these two, these two folks were saying that if people believed that self-control was unlimited, they were better able to manage mental fatigue and pool resources and continue to, to keep going, to get their, their goals met. And that was self-control, meaning proactive agency, robustness to overcome obstacles and distractions. You don't get distracted and forget to do your GFEs, for example. Um, and resilience, if you forgot it in the first week, you do it in the second week, for example, you get back on track. Um, so their model and the way they pursue it seems to be like, if you believe you can, you can do it. <laughs> Do you agree with that? No. I <laughs> I mean, and maybe the part that I get lost on this is I come from an idea where, you know, motivation is a finite resource and I don't rely yeah. on motivation. I'm somebody who comes more from having the discipline to follow through on goals, to put things into place and to just meet what I need to do. If it's my schedule, if it's the commitments that I make that they're going to get done, they're going to get largely done, especially externally, <laughs> you know, situated sort of goals. I, I like that clarification. Mostly done. <laughs> Mostly done. <laughs> but, um, you know, I find, you know, many of our audience members know that I run marathons, that mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of days when my alarm goes off where I have no motivation to go and yeah. get my workout done. But I have a fair amount of discipline to be able to get that workout done. And that's really the way that I've framed things myself. And so this is a way different way of talking that I don't subscribe to. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I do either. I think that the interesting thing is that it's the belief that self-control is unlimited versus the fact that self-control is unlimited. So it's really about mindset. And I think when I'm hearing you talk about, especially the marathon stuff, like you believe that you can do this. No, I believe that I'm not going to do it unless I do it. So Yes. Yeah. And so it's it's something where when people get into, well, you know, motivation is finite and and self-control is a resource that, that runs out. I think as a therapist, I've said those things to help people not be so hard on themselves. But I think what this study is saying is that we want to walk a line because if people believe, oh, well, if I'm tired, I should just opt out. They don't get to that discipline. They don't get to that implementation. And so I think it's important for us to recognize it. But 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 it this lovingly, wonderfully uh, gets to uh, B.J. Fogg's work in Tiny Habits because he subscribes to the same notion that you do, which is motivation is fickle. Sure. And so yeah. it, you can do a lot, but if you're just relying on, I can do it, it's not going to work. And so I'd like to, in the last few minutes, talk through this and maybe we can figure out a tiny habit. I don't know if we'll find one related to this, but maybe we can talk through a tiny habit um, that will be something that you can employ to make sure that you're consistently making progress towards your goals. Um, so for BJ Fogg, his book he wrote in 2019, 2020, um, again, all the links in the show notes um, or all the references in the show notes, but 
his his theory and it's it's drawn from so many different theories like cbt behavioral like everything that you could think of like i went to his website and there's like this gigantic list of like everything you've ever thought about and ever read all flows into this this thing so this is his work but it's also very very readily pulled from other places so it's going to be familiar um, but he says that behavior behaviors happen when motivation and ability and a prompt come together and so the motivation is i want to do it the ability is i can do it and the prompt is and it's time to do it <laughs> something that something's nudged me to do this thing and so because motivation is fickle and and so that first that first element is so uncertain we have to go to behavior design versus setting these goals even if they're very clear without any way to reach them or without really clear pathways to reach them habits that will be um, helpful to reach them and and he also reiterated that motivation towards abstraction i want to be happy i want to have more time that's ineffective you need to have practicalities and a very clear vision and so so his behavior design model we'll jump into it is get clear on the aspiration or outcome and so your aspiration or outcome as far as i understand is having enough time at work to do all the things that you want to do and have sufficient time at home to spend time with your family. Right. Okay. And so the next step, and this is something where we don't have time to do it, but I think it's a really good process. So maybe we can just dig into it for a minute or so is explore all the behavioral options. Anything you can do to get that time better situated where work is more compact and you're getting everything done, you're not the bottleneck, which obviously not motivated, but but something that that it's it's worth considering. Okay. <laughs> and then you have sufficient time at home. So so let's go through brainstorm everything is possible. Human what cloning. Are some, what? Human cloning. Human cloning. Okay. First one is human cloning. All right. What else do we got? Time machine. Okay. Continue. I'm just writing them down. Because um, I know eventually you're going to run out of funny things. So like, <laughs> let's get to the real stuff. But here we go. <laughs> okay. Not replacing the most extreme ends of my schedule. Not uh, replacing extreme ends of schedule. Okay. Uh, removing things from my schedule that don't make as much money. Saying no more. Well, what else are you spending time on besides seeing clients what are the other things that you find yourself doing during the day uh i teach i work on our podcast i am training for a marathon i cook i spend time with my family and my kids okay but if if i were to actually like do a time study on you what are you actually doing a lot of the time second screening on my phone <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um let's use that one because that one's actually a good uh tiny habit here. So second screening on phone. Okay. So potentially, <laughs> and I know this isn't motivating to you. So we're gonna do a thought experiment on this one because I don't think you're gonna actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you were to stop to stop second screening on your phone, yes, how much impact do you think it would have on the amount of time you 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 have in the day none it, it, i would it, i would i would beg to differ <laughs> as someone who who has to take 40 minutes to have a two-minute conversation with you i would i would 
I would beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> I get productive things done, sending emails, responding to people okay. <laughs> while having these 40 minute conversations. So, so you're just wasting my time. <laughs> Yes, I'm only seeing how this is affecting you. <laughs> All right, so maybe we can't even do a thought experiment because okay, you're so thought ex- thought, ex- to- thought experiment. Uh, <laughs> my my doctor will be like, "Why is your hand gripped like there's always a phone?" <laughs> <laughs> so potentially, in potentially, this some of our our meetings would be shorter and. I would be able to then have shorter meetings that allow for me to actually go and work and be productive on things. So what is your level of motivation to decrease uh, your second screening or to instead, to frame it positively, be grounded and mindful and present um, without other distractions like the second screen? How motivated are you to do that? I don't know. I'm supposed to say the right thing, but... (laughs) You're not motivated at all. <laughs> um, so what is your ability to do this, to, to stop second screening? I, I mean, the ability is is there. It's... But what would you have to do to, to not second screen? Are you second screening right now? <laughs> I am because I'm trying to see how long it's going to take my Uber to get here to get to my <laughs> office because I have a hard out at two o'clock. Got it. Yes. Um. But what would it take to, what's the ability that it would take to actually decrease your second screening or, or, or be able to stay more focused on the primary focus of, of whatever you're doing? Part of it would be to have meeting partners who actually get to the freaking point sooner. (laughs) (laughs) I think I don't get to the point because you're looking down and I'm like, (laughs) are we here yet? What's going on? Okay. I'll talk to somebody else. (laughs) So, so, but but that go- that goes back to community. That gets back to yes. kind of the way that we interplay with each other. And yes, yeah. So, so if if I call you out on your second screen, then I got to call you out and be no. I got to be like say something important. Keep my right. keep my intention. All right, all right. I, so, I have wordles to wordle. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we're looking at more mindful focus, single focusing, single tasking. Um, what is the smallest behavior that you could do to start in that direction? What is the tiniest little thing to do? Honestly, the tiniest little thing that I can do is spend five to 10 minutes the night before my day and look at what are the tasks that I need to get done, and when am I most likely to get them done? And this goes back to our wonderful structural self-care workshop that we had done that is something that works best with my flow of needing to put the things out in my environment that makes the next day easier. And by and large, that takes five to 10 minutes most days for me. Okay, so then that, let's actually do that as a real tiny habit. So what what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to find the tiniest habit. So this is a a mini peek at the next day and planning that takes five to ten minutes. Yes. Okay. Do you know what to do there? Like, do you have a plan? Like, does it make sense? Do we need to define it any further? No, I I know what I'm doing with this. Okay. So then we need to find a good prompt. 
What BJ Fogg talks about with a good prompt is that action prompts are better than person prompts. So like having someone tell you or having you remember it or context prompts, which is like having a little reminder pop up on your phone. So do you have a behavior that you could then follow this new, new habit with planning the next day? I respond really well to those prompts that come up on my phone and find my tech, my unanswered text would be to differ. (laughs) When my reminders come up on my phone, I'm really good at answering those. Okay. So, but is there a behavior that you typically do at the end of your day that this could attach to? So you're talking about that pre-Mac principle of let's pair a low frequency behavior with a high frequency behavior. Yes. Honestly, for me, in the way that most of my evenings go, I don't necessarily see something that is an easy thing for me to just start pairing with that. Like, you know, I could say, I I, I could do this while I brush my teeth, but I'm already, you know, taking the dog outside and I'm making sure that, you know, the kids are asleep and the doors are locked and that kind of stuff. So for me, honestly, something that already works in my environment is setting myself daily or weekly reminders to get something specific done. And so that... Well, let me me help you really quick, because I think one of the things I didn't add to this is to to make this prompt, you want to match the physical location. So at the physical location, the frequency, the theme or purpose, and then find the trailing edge. And so doing it when you brush your teeth, yes, it's the same frequency, but it's not the same physical location and it's not the same theme or purpose. Now, I'm going to to, to finish this up because we got to go. But, um, in our systems of self-care or stru- structural self-care, whatever we called it, um, you talked about a closing out ritual. <laughs> Mm-hmm. For the end of your workday. So I'm going to assume that you actually practiced that. And there's some way that you close out your workday. Yes, there is. Okay. So what is the last step in closing out your workday? I put my laptop into my laptop bag and I okay. don't take it back out. Okay. What is one step before that? What's I put the charging cord for my laptop in my laptop bag. Okay. Two steps before that. I unplug it. <laughs> Two steps. <laughs> so uh, the last thing is, that I do for my day is I make one last pass through anybody who has emails or something that needs to be responded to end of business day or end of my work day. And then I log out of my computer, I put it away and I go home. Okay, so after you finish the emails, before you log out of the computer, or maybe you log out of the computer and then have a paper. I don't know if you want to have a paper with your list or if you want to do that right after the emails. But before you put your laptop away between the emails and find the trailing edge there, the last thing that you do, before you close out your computer, you do your five minutes of planning. Sure. Yeah, that that seems very easy and doable. Okay, so you anchor it with, I'm already going through the last step. You, you you do the tiny behavior, which is your five-minute check tomorrow, and then BJ Fogg says, do a celebration. And so, woohoo, and put your laptop away. Sure. <laughs> I'm done with the work day. So as we're very long on time and we need to get going, I think it's it's something where it's important for us to, to look at this process and, and get to what is the takeaway that you have here on this process? The takeaway is I actually need to be 
mindful and come back to goals rather than just leaving them out in the distance, but to be able to put specifics towards these more amorphous goals, be more accountable to the people around me by actually talking to them about it, relying on my community, coming back and evaluating how I'm doing towards these goals. Yeah. And doing small steps along the way actually makes it seem more achievable. And I think that's really, really important because I think if you don't create the small steps, if you don't get to the habit point, you don't celebrate, you don't evaluate. And that's a really important point. You need to evaluate if these things are working because if you find that you're not doing this this habit, got to figure out why and assess. But I think if you don't do those assessments, I think that you're not going to end up getting to the goals that you want, or you might be on the wrong track and you end up like, hey, I'm doing a really good job of this habit, but it's not getting me closer to my goal. Right. And so very briefly, um, there's another article I'm going to link to. It's um, on common factors and the magic that re- that change requires magic at Staravald 2021. It goes through some of the the bias and assumptions that are, are potentially playing into this as a clinician. And so I'm going to briefly talk about them and then we'll close out. The first one is kind of this paradigmatic um, assumption, which is the beliefs, the cultural, religious, or other belief paradigms. Cr- and I talked talked about this with roles, um, head of household, financial things. It's important that we know what paradigms are, are playing in on the goals so that we don't get into the, the the distinction that you and I had around, I would be very upset about being a bottleneck. That's not as compelling to you. There are other things that were more meaningful. Um, causal, where did the problem start? Who's responsible for positive change? This goes into in- intrinsic and, ex- and extrinsic motivation. But it's important that we understand what our clients believe the cause of the problem is. And and you got to, I, I don't say no enough. <laughs> right. So that's a whole, that would be a whole therapy session in and of itself, at least one. Um, and then prescriptive, it's kind of what do we think works? What I think works isn't what you think works. And so I need to keep playing through and and really getting to a place of who is the person I'm talking to and how do I make sure that my assumptions are not playing into what the solution is? Because like I said earlier, I would just say like, hey, go through your caseload, pick out the 15 you're going to keep and close out the rest. That happens in a month, right? You can do that. That's possible. If you really want to make this change, you're saying, I don't want to do that. I want to do this other thing, and I think this is this is a, a, a stronger uh, stronger way to do it. So, anyway, I'll finish it up there. I think there's obviously always more to talk about with goal setting because it's really one of the fundamentals of of how we do our work. But yeah, I think it's it's something where if we take a little bit more time with it, I think our our clients will be better served, and if we do this for ourselves, we'll be better served. You can find our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. Follow us on our social media. Join our Facebook group, The Modern Therapist Group. And you can support us and the pursuits that we do. Uh, consider becoming a patron and enjoy things like the outtakes of our shows. And <laughs> Or you can support us through things like Buy Me a Coffee or get your CEs through us. And listen to the directions at the beginning and the end of the episode for instructions on how to do that. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Renoy. Just a quick reminder, if you'd like one unit of continuing education for listening to this episode, go to moderntherapistcommunity.com, purchase this course, and pass the post-test. A CE certificate will appear in your profile once you've successfully completed the steps. Once again, that's moderntherapistcommunity.com. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. 
Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 